Rico Love, I want to welcome you to the show. We have the one and only Rico Love on Sports and Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max here tonight. One of the greatest songwriters in, I'd say, history, music history. One of the all-time creators behind the music, especially involved in front of the music as well. As you may know, hits, they don't know. We can go on and on and on about that. My favorite song by you is Shine. I think that one's very underrated and should be on the radio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. Rico Love, welcome to the show, man. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Happy birthday to hip-hop, too. Yeah, man. 48 years old. Yeah, man. That's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Can you believe it? That's a beautiful thing. I can believe it. I can believe it. I think it is the strongest and most innovative genre and in all music. And I think it's the most influential genre in all music. So I could definitely believe that. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for hip-hop, we wouldn't be here tonight having this conversation. I can guarantee you that. Absolutely. <laughs> no, but... Originally, you actually started writing poems when you were very young. You wanted to be a rapper. You were acting. You were performing Langston Hughes poetry and theater. What, what made you want to get into all the theater and poetry at such a young age? Um, my mom put me in an African-American children's theater as a kid. And I was just, I met this guy named Mr. Hamilton and this woman named uh, Miss Connie. And um, she basically just taught us so much about poetry and acting and stage presence and art in general. And I was just so, you know, I was obsessed with the idea of being a performer and the idea of creating art in whatever platform available. So um, I think that it was something that, I think it was something that, that became a passion, but I don't believe that anything truly becomes a passion unless it's already birthed in you, you know? So I think it was something that was natural for me to do. And um, I just always knew what my calling was from a very young age based on the experiences my mother allowed me to have, my father allowed me to have. I would say that the poetry helped you to evolve into this strong songwriter that you become and as well as making songs and performing them. If it wasn't for poetry, you may not have that edge. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Just teaching you format, teach you A, B, A, B, A, A, B, B, you know, different uh, patterns and how to write. Uh, at a very young age. I think it, it was it's very helpful. And studying, like not just the idea of me writing my own poetry, it put me in a place where I had to read others. And studying Langston Hughes and um, uh, Zora Nelson, Hurst, you know, all, all those people that I felt like were incredible. So I, I just think that when you started reading it, you started understanding the quality in the bar. You set a bar for yourself. Your musical influences actually came because you used to listen to Motown a lot. You watched a lot of VH1 behind the music videos when you were younger, and you studied all these artists' processes and getting into the game and what they did with their craft. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That was one of the things. My dad had all the tapes from Motown 25 and Motown 30, and I would watch them, and then I studied Michael, I studied Marvin, and then there was a show VH1 behind the music, and I, and I would study those things and learn about different bands that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to or wouldn't have had access to. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion on Because you studied the greats. What's your opinion about how music has changed over the time from when you were a learner and now that you're actually an artist and now that you see the generations in front of you? Do you feel as though, because looking, I feel as though that, to my opinion, you're the last great generation because growing up when we had you out, Chris Brown, Trey Songs, besides that your generation, the one that we have coming now, I'd probably say 2016, 2017, I feel as though, in my mind, they're just not as epic and legendary. 
like their contributions aren't as when we look at what you did for the game and all the artists of your generation, they're just not the same. Do you feel as though that there's that you have that kind of viewpoint as well? Because I feel as though this young generation, they just don't care about the craft of music. Yeah, I think it's not so much that they don't care about the craft. I think they don't they believe that nothing existed before them. And I don't think they have a reverence for overall, because I can't say that about every artist, but I just think that, you know, a lot of the mainstream hip hop artists, they kind of have this arrogance, like nothing existed before them. They don't have to pay homage, they don't have to respect anything. I think generally, I think this new generation, not just musically, just in general, it's just like, you know, it, even if you look at the gang culture, like gang culture used to have rules and used to have you know, big homies and people you had to answer to. And now even in the young young gang culture, it's like, we'll kill you. Like, you know what I mean? Who's the big homie? We'll kill big homie too, we don't care. So I think that just generally the idea of a hierarchy of paying homage or being respectful to what came before you, I think that that's the lost art form these days. I don't think people understand its importance. Mm-hmm. I agree with you on that. Just thinking about it, when you look back at the Tupac records, Biggie, and all the people in the 90s, Keep Sweat, you go on and on, even in R&B, I feel as though with social media, people are just, I feel as though they just do it just to get money. Where back in the day, they did it for the art of it. It was all about the art and the money came anyway, but their first goal was putting it forth in their art, where the art is just non-existent today. Yeah, I agree. I think the people were kind of like, I don't want to say non-existent because there's so many artists that I actually love and respect. I think her is brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think um, Bruno Mars is brilliant and I think that um, The Weeknd is a genius. I think that, uh, you know, Brent Fiaz and Daniel Caesar and and uh, Blast and Ty Dolla Sign and Jeremiah and Hitmaker. Like, there's a lot of people who respect it and really do it very well. So I don't think that it's necessarily overall. I think the mindset of the youth is just a little bit warped. But there are sons of talent, I think, that do... Um, have a high respect and reverence for the art form. Mm-hmm. With the We Love Music conferences and all the thing that sh- things that you do being on the board of trustees with the Grammys, have you ever thought of putting together some sort of event line where so you could bridge the gap between the younger generations and understanding that you had all these legends that came before you and formed the path for you to come in here and do what you're doing, especially, and I feel as though it's much easier now because if you have one song that blows up, you're right in there in the game pretty much. Yeah. I'm actually the vice chair of the Grammys now. So the opportunity. Wow. Congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity I have to build and to grow and to um, give opportunities to give information to people is is very, very available. (laughs) So um, I'm creating this thing called the HBCU Love Tour, where I'm going to a lot of historically black colleges, universities, and speaking about the Grammys and Recording Academy and what we represent and who we are and things like that. And I think it's an opportunity for me to not just talk about the Grammys, but just talk about art and respect for art as a whole. I think that's important that you do that because I don't know too many people that are out there trying to bridge the gap and bring in awareness. It's all about these artist relations. And I think Nas is doing a great job of that because he's been putting a boogie on his album. You see all these younger artists on his albums. Mm-hmm. I think that's dope, man. I love King Disease too. I love that new record too. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, more so about, to me, it's not more so about him putting him on his album. I think it's about him showing that he can exist in any time zone, any time frame. I think the reinvention of who Nas actually is and the, re- the exception of who he is, um, uh, his acceptance is based on Hitboy being such a brilliant 
fan of the culture and understanding the relevance of today and also understanding timeless and classic nature of what Nas is putting it together. So yeah, I think that's an incredible opportunity to educate and inform the, the younger generation about what hip hop is supposed to sound like. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's what hip hop is supposed to sound like is, you know, I've read that you're from Louisiana, but you had your time in Harlem. It, it, to me, it, when you come from New York, it's got to be boom bap and you got to have the bars. <laughs> Absolutely. You got to, you got to be um, aggressive, mm-hmm. you have to be fearless, you have to be confident. So a lot of the brittle spirits that exist today in today's time, you know, a guy who gets booed off a stage and wants to kill himself. And, and I'm not trying to make fun of anybody who has um, suicidal thoughts, but it's like, this, this, the nature of hip hop was used to be a lot more aggressive, it used to be a lot less, you know, it's, the skin was a lot tougher. But also, I mean, in fairness, social media didn't exist either. So you didn't have the opportunity for everybody giving their opinion about you every day, all day. That's why I respect Cole and Kendrick mm-hmm. who stay off the social media until it's time for them to do their thing. Mm-hmm. I think the most aggressive artists in New York, I would say, are Dave East and I would say the Griselda guys. Yeah, super aggressive right now. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. That's all that matters to me is the bars when it comes to hip hop, though. That's that, that's the focal point of New York, and people can't forget that because you have artists trying to hop on the trends out here, and it's all about individuality. I'm sure that you saw the T Pain video, and he spoke out about it recently. You're starting to see more large figureheads starting to speak out about the rappers in this day and age, hopping yeah. on the other one sound. I think the bars are very important, but I also know that that versus battle with Dipset and um, Locks showed that. Yeah, the bars matter, but those were very great records that not that, that Jada was performing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think to have a mixture of both is brilliant. And that's the exception and to the rule. I think it's being able to have the ability or or to look at Jay. You know, Jay is like for me, pound for pound, one of the greatest MCs ever. Mm-hmm. Look at Biggie, who is my favorite rapper of all time. Look at Mace, who's one of my favorite rappers of all time. They made records. Yeah. You know what I mean? They made records. Think about Eminem. You know who, who made uh, um, 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 all those like I'm still shady as and he found a way to put bars in those type mm-hmm. of records. So it's about I think the true lyricist is the guy who can challenge himself to give you the bars, but still give you a record that's infectious and timeless. You know, and I think you hit the nail right on the head with that. And just getting into to more hip hop talk, you know what what record especially a plaque that's behind you it could be a plaque behind you, anything that you wrote throughout your career, are you most proud of? most proud of. I wrote a song for Brandy called No Such Thing Is Too Late that I feel like was the most beautiful song I've ever written. And I wrote a song for Usher called Dive, which I thought was one of the most beautiful songs I've ever written. Uh, neither one of those songs were hits. And I think that um, it's very telling the fact that um, my favorite record was the one that really meant the most creatively, I thought was the ex- an exceptional uh, re- writing and an exceptional melodic sensibility. I think that it, those songs should have been hit. And those songs broke my heart when they didn't become hits. Honestly, I, I questioned everything when Dive didn't become a hit because I thought to myself, I can't write a better song than this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> this is not a hit. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, because obviously I had tons of hits before and after, but it still felt like unreal. Like, wow, this is not a hit. What's a hit? Yeah. Do you feel as though that hits are overrated into that point? Because I feel as though there are some filler songs you look back on 90s R&B albums, whereas though the hit songs that they're good, don't get me wrong, hits are hit records, but I feel as though some of the filler songs on classic albums are actually better than the hits. Yeah, sometimes, but it's all subjective. But one thing that's, that's clear is that the hit was the hit. It felt mm-hmm. right, it felt 
the timing was perfect. It just so happened that you, you know, when you got 12, 13 songs at that time, 15, 16 songs, it was hard to make every song that single. Just meant that you had a great body of work. Not necessarily that that song should have been the hit. It's just like you had such a great album that you had so many choices. You had so many options to choose from. And I think that that's, that's what ideally what you want. Being a songwriter and looking at it through the, the lens of a, a hip-hop artist who's writing, why do you feel as though that people are so critical when it comes to rappers having writers, but not for R&B singers? I think hip-hop is just like, it's not built like that. It's not, mm-hmm. You know, hip-hop is about the creative and the MC coming up with the flow. But um, I don't think, obviously, I make a living writing records for people. So, <laughs> so I'm a little bit biased. So, but um, I think what people don't realize is back in the day, a lot of the guys rapping those songs weren't even writing them. You know what I mean? There were a lot of guys who weren't writing their own stuff back then. Um, DOC was writing a lot of Snoop stuff. You know what I mean? And so, people don't know that. People don't know that. Like DOC was writing all the Dre stuff. Ice Cube wrote everything for, for NWA and Eazy-E. And Ren, yeah, it was Cube and Ren. It was writing everything for the whole group. So um, I think that people kind of like are disenchanted about the idea of what hip hop really is and not understanding their own history. And I think it's important that people do, but you dropped some gems right there about DOC and Ice Cube, but a lot of people probably have known about the Ice Cube thing, but DOC was news to me, but I'm not surprised because back in the day, that's how it was. Mm-hmm. And, and getting into your career with writing and it's just your newest album that you just dropped, Emerging Women in R&B, that's pushing the, the real R&B forward, especially for women. What, what made you want to do that? Just put all these women on an album and push their career forward because you're someone that puts other artists over you. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that to me, I felt like it was the new way of the future was to create compositions and pay the artists and then own the composition, right. And produce it. Um, and also I thought it was a way to get some of the records that I have written out, but then I realized that it's every time I got a new artist in there, I wanted to write something from scratch. So I didn't even use all the old songs that I thought I was going to use for the project. I ended up, because I like writing so much, I enjoy it so much that I end up writing new songs for every one of the acts when they showed up. But I think that um, the reason why it was so special to me that album was because uh, it was an opportunity for me to show what I what I normally do. I'm working with tons of different artists, creating different energies for them, and I'm stretching myself um, for, as far as how I creatively being able to say I can go from this extreme to this extreme and then bring everything to you know to the middle um so I think that, that was the exercise in doing so but also I think it, it created an idea for a new platform on how creatives and how producers can really um exercise their gift and monetize it I think that's what you're, what you're doing is a great thing 100% pushing the music forward for women and giving them a spotlight for once and you know do you feel as though that this is a good question. Do you feel as though that R&B is a male-dominated genre or is it a female-dominated genre? In music in general, it's a, it's a uh, male-dominated. Mm. So many, it's so few. Even when you're in a studio writing, you're always thinking like, it's either Rihanna or it's Beyonce or it's, you know what I mean? Like you don't have many people to choose from when you're writing. So um, it's very difficult. But even in R&B, it's just, it's not me. It's not me. Generally though, it's just difficult. If, unless you look to the new acts up and coming and think that that's the shit then that's why it's always been my focus to develop my own acts and look for up and coming because it's not many to choose from mm-hmm. and then everybody's so self-contained these days oh, they don't even listen to the labels anymore labels just tell them you know you got to get in the studio with this one and this one 
Now these artists are coming with their albums finished. They're getting a deal based upon the records that they already have out. So it's not the whole A&R process and putting together an album process is a lot different because these artists are kind of ready-made now. They don't have a choice but to be that way because labels don't believe in investing in these acts anymore. They believe in, if you got some, if you're already doing millions and millions of streams, then we'll, you know, cut your check. Florida AM NM University. How was your experience throughout your time there? And what was the most important class that you took during your time in college? Oh man, my, I think philosophy was my favorite class to take. I just learned the idea of how people see and view the world and perspectives. And I thought that was a beautiful idea, beautiful concept, just how understanding perspectives of different, different people, um, which helped me so much in my songwriting. Mm -hmm. um, meeting so many different people from different places. You understand, we didn't have Instagram and social media. So you, that was your way of finding out how people on this side of the world talk and behave and did things. And then you start realizing like, man, I never did it this way because I only know to do it this way. So let me try it this way. So you're able to experience different ways and understand yourself differently and realize that, man, only reason I'm doing this or living this way or acting this way is because this was taught to me. But I realized that this, this other way these people in Virginia, these people in LA, these people in Chicago, they, they move it this way. And I think that this is better for me, that better suits me. You realize certain things and learn certain things. I think some college was an amazing experience for me. And during your time in college, actually, you were participating in rap battles, rap concerts, and you, you were winning a lot of them. Do you have one that's most memorable to you? I never lost one, ever. Yeah, no. I never lost one. Um, I, was, I was in my dorm room and I was sleeping and I see now I hear somebody banging on the window next to my room. I live in a storm called Patty Foot. And somebody was banging on my window and said, yo, you gotta come battle. Cause I was winning so much that I, was, I stopped going. And there was a thing called, um, this um, little Steve had this thing on the set, the downstairs of the set. And we would go down, and, no, to the Rattlers thing. It was called the Rattlers thing. And we would go down there. So they were calling me like, yo, banging on my door. I didn't have a cell phone at the time. So they were banging on my door and they were like, yo, you gotta get down here. They, they, you, gotta, you gotta eat this dude up. He was killing everybody. And I got out of bed, put my shoes on, put my clothes on and destroyed this guy. Like it was, it was terrible. <laughs> like very, very, very bad, convincingly. And um, yeah, that was super memorable. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It really is winning all these rap battles in college. And then, and then that eventually that's how your career, you started going down the path here and you eventually ran into the corner boys and you lived on their couch, actually. Mm -hmm. So on that couch in Atlanta, I met them through um, Jagged Edge, but my manager at the time, Vincent Cersei, had linked me up, you know, had put me in a position where I was moving around out there in Atlanta and um, we linked up with Jagged Edge and that's how I met, that's how I met the corner boys. And then, my life changed at that point after meeting them because we kind of became, uh, we had a creative marriage. Mm -hmm. And um, D-Town from the Corner Boys is still one of my best mm -hmm. friends to this day. I just was with him in the studio. We still work together every day. What's an important mindset to have when you're just starting out? Because like you said, you ran into Jagged Edge, you're on the Corner Boys couch, and you're just starting out. And eventually you find your way into songwriting. Your first placement was Usher's throwback featuring Jadakiss. And then we go on and on and on from there. You're signed to Usher. What's the right mindset to have when going into the industry, especially when you're, you, you, what was really your set goal going into the industry? Was it to be a rapper? Because you just branched off and did everything at expert, as expertise. What was my mindset going into 
I think that um, you think about rapping is that you have to be unafraid. You have to prepare at any moment. And I think that that's kind of like how I am right now as a writer and how I've always been. It's just being able to go in the studio and be, be able to quickly adapt and create. And I think that that is the hip hop mindset. If you need, somebody says they need a verse, you know, I need you to get a 16 on this. You got to come up with a verse. So that's, I, I, I took that and, and uh, adapted that to my uh, creative process as, as a songwriter. I think mm -hmm. hip hop, like I said in the beginning, hip hop is like the mother of all music. So it's able to, um, well, rhythm and blues is the mother of all music. But uh, I think that hip hop is like, kind of like, you know, the, the, the God, God brother, you know, the God baby of to be able to come in and just say like, you have to have this aggressive approach and this fearlessness and you gotta be able to create at the drop of a hat. And um, I think that that's, that's, that's why I was able to exist the way I'm able to exist for this long and still be doing well is because of adapting that, that mindset. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And you've been successful in every lane that you've been in and from there, the Corner Boys, they had the remix for Usher for to do something on, on it rap-wise, and that's how you got connected with Usher. You get signed to Usher. Were you there in the studio when Usher did it live? You recorded the song live, and Jadakiss came in and did his verse on the song. No, no, no. Actually, I did a verse on it first. I was rapping on it. Jadakiss didn't get on it until after the album was already out. And oh, they wow. did the deluxe version. So I was, I was rapping on the first. So that's why when I did the tour with Usher, I was uh, on the song. Usher's mom took me off the song, Janetta. Oh. Took me off of the song, and it was no rap on the original version, which which was weird to me because I was signed to Usher as a rap artist. Mm -hmm. And since that was such an iconic classic album, I believe that it would have gave me a better opportunity as a rap artist to have a chance, an opportunity to be seen and heard. And they decided not to put me on it and not to keep anyway, which is ridiculous. I wrote the song and wrote a rap <laughs> that I thought was incredible. You know what I mean? So so Jada's verse didn't come until later. It didn't come until um, when we did the, the deluxe. Okay. So when the deluxe came out, that's when we heard Jada Kiss's verse. And with the songwriting credits, it's how do you feel as though songwriters get their credit nowadays? Do you feel as though they get the credit that they deserve? Because back in the day when we had CDs, we used to recognize the songwriters because they came with the booklets. Nowadays, you have to go and seek out the information that was in the booklets, but not anymore because everything's all digital. I think because of guys like myself and Sean Garrett and Dream and, and Esther Dean, I think because of us, <laughs> people want to know who writes the song. So even though they don't have the credits as available, which they do have available, just not as handy, I think that people are interested in knowing who wrote these songs because they understood and recognized the respect that they had for guys like us who, who pioneered the tag and making songwriters more well-known. I think that um, when I created Turn the Lights On, I think that was the first tag for a writer. And, you know, then the people follow suit and dreams started going on. You hear a song on the radio yesterday. I heard I pinned it. And, and that's with Sean. And then when Dreams started doing Radio Killer and like, you know, things like that started happening. But I think the tag and, and, and us making our presence known. And then before you know it, people understood and recognized the style. So when you hear a, a, a Sean Garrett record, you know it's him. You hear Rico Love record, you know it's me, even before you hear Turn the Rights on. When you hear Dream, obviously, one of the most distinct sounding songwriters ever. 
you hear Esther Dean, you're kind of consistent, you know, it, it, baby, yeah, yeah, yeah. like you hear that stuff, you, you know, the trends, you know, the, the cadence so much so that when somebody's duplicating or attempting to duplicate it, it's almost like I get calls like, did you write this song right here? I, you know, I do that one, you know? You also know, were able to write on There Goes My Baby. That's a huge record. Yeah, I wrote There Goes My Baby, yeah. 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 One huge. Huge. That's that's an anthem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> and also for Beyonce, Sweet Dreams. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Opportunity to work with two icons. I'm blessed. I'm blessed to be able to say I work with every Destiny's Child member individually. Kelly Rowland, that's right. Kelly Rowland, Michelle Williams. Mm-hmm. I even work with Latoya Luckett. Fergie, ASAP Rocky. French Montana, Nelly. How was your experience working with Nelly? Because he's one of the, in my opinion, he's one of the most important artists in hip hop because, you know, besides Nate Dogg and all these other guys that were using melodies in their lyrics in early on in hip hop, Nelly was the one to really make it cool to sing rap. Yeah. Nelly is one of my closest friends. He's like my OG. And, he, and he's a genius because he knows his strengths. He's the guy who says, uh, no, nah, that's, not, that's not me. That's me. This is me. And people don't know what works for them. Some people do. He knows what works for them. Just a dream. He's having an extreme amount of success right now in the country world. It's ridiculous how well he's doing. He just had a platinum record with Florida Georgia Line. Now artists go platinum now. It's like billions and billions of streams. It's so difficult. It is. And and you're from the generation growing up where there was no streaming. So how how would you say that the streaming era affect your artistry with songwriting and even as an artist when releasing your music? I'm not going to say it affects the artistry because artistry is who you are and what you do. I think the business of it is a lot different, but I also believe that the, the streaming is the gift that keeps on giving. After somebody buys a record, that's it. The great thing about the stream is that every time you listen to it, there's an opportunity to earn. So it's about understanding and adapting. And I think I'm, we have to understand it to make the best out of it. I don't think that the publishing is paying as much as it should for these streams. But I think the master royalty is paying ungodly amounts of money. So at the end of the day, you got to say, if, if publishing is, isn't paying as much, I need to get on the other side of the desk. I need to be operating as the, as, the, as the label. And that's what I've been doing. So instead of crying about not being paid properly, I just change roles and own it. And that's important. How did, what's the most important advice that you can give to an artist to make sure that they own their royalties and they get the money that they deserve. Honestly, these artists, the upper hand, they have the upper hand now. Yeah. People are putting out their records first. The only way to really work and get what you need in this business is by owning it and doing it yourself. So now you're in a power position. It's, it's easier now for them to get the money they deserve. These labels are paying them handle, like they're getting a ton of money now. So I think that they, it's just about understanding your control and understanding your power. When you understand that, then you're good. I think one of the biggest achievements throughout your career was being able to write for Diddy as he is a mentor to you. Yeah, yeah. He was one of my biggest influences. And at one point we were so close, we were inseparable. I was with him every day. <laughs> He's one of the greatest of all time. And I remember hearing you speak about it in interviews that you feel as though that just because he was always successful, that people didn't want to see him win anymore. And that's why his album, Diddy Dirty Money, wasn't doing the numbers that it was supposed to. Yeah, I think that people, if there would be anybody else that I would have been humongous. Just that people look at Puff and they just feel like we sick of you winning. <laughs>
But I don't understand why people would be sick of him winning because he should be looked at as an icon. It's the nature of, it's the nature of, of, of who we are as people. And also understanding like Puff is just an in-your-face type character. It could be it could be a bit much for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what Puff Daddy did with Bad Boys back in the day. <sighs> Crazy. Craig Mack. Would you say that Craig Mack was the most important artist to come out of Bad Boys if you think about it? Because if it wasn't for Flavor in the Air, mm-hmm. I think he really put on Bad Boys. He pioneered it, but I think Biggie was the most important. Biggie took it in a whole different place. You're right. My opinion. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I, I think Biggie definitely was, he had the biggest impact, but if it wasn't for Craig Mack, Craig Mack set the foundation pretty he much. He definitely set it up. But in his business, it's more like, how do you keep it up? Yeah. Biggie, and Biggie was able to keep it up. And just make a face in the energy of Bad Boy. I don't think Craig Mack got arrested dead. I don't think Craig Mack was enough of a presence himself outside of the record. Mm-hmm. You won't be around next year. <laughs> That's what he said in his in his rhyme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, but he's he goes down as a legend just in and of itself. Just what he did in his in his short stint in hip hop, one hundred percent. But Diddy as one for the ages. What was one that was real surreal to you and writing, or even working with an artist? It could be even recording for someone on your song. You had Ludacris on. They don't know the remix. You work with a ton of artists. I think Puff, Usher, Beyonce, Brandy. I, I got too many, man. It's like so many iconic moments, Nelly. There's so many iconic moments, you know what I mean, that I have. That I just feel like I'm, I've had a blessed career, man. It's impossible for me to pick one. Is there someone on your list still that you're working to hit that chart where you want to work with? Kanye West. Kanye West. And Jay-Z. And Jay-Z. How do you feel about Kanye's latest music as of recently in the past couple of years? Are you a fan of it still? Because yeah. I know a lot of his fans have dropped. I mean, if you're a diehard Kanye fan, you're going to be following him wherever he's at. But I know a lot of people, at, when, once Jesus came out, they weren't liking his records as much anymore. Yeah. I mean, the Jesus tour, remember that? that was mm-hmm. like, so everybody can say what they want to say, but he sold out the tour. Yeah. He stopped because he had a mental breakdown. But other than that, he would have been in the whole world so people act like they want to act like whatever but guess what when, when he says i'm showing up here people show up oh even they after, do even after the red cap mm-hmm. even oh yeah the, that was can't forget about that and it, the red cap was in now th- did that crush you inside a little bit when he did wear the red cap absolutely yeah it crushed me the fact that he was just worshiping trump the way he was this is the guy who says george george bush don't like black people, you know what I mean? It was just like this is a guy who says uh they made new slaves, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like it's a contradiction contradiction to everything he previously stood for. So that kind of hurt me, but creatively I still think he's a mastermind. He is a hundred percent. Jay Z is it, it would you say that he's the GOAT? Would you say I'll be the person to say that he's the greatest of all time? Yeah. Well, okay, I want your opinion on this because I'm a Nas guy. What makes Jay-Z the greatest rapper of all time? Because when I tend to ask people about Jay-Z, they start going, well, look at the billionaire business that he's had with Rock Nation and the artists that he's put on to his label. Jay-Z, Jay-Z could stop at the Black Album. He could stop there at the Black Album and he still would be the greatest rapper of all time. Easily. 
I, I, I respect your opinion, even though I love Stillmatic. <laughs> I love Stillmatic. Incredible. But just poise and flow and energy and balance. You have to understand, emceeing is not just about words and lyrics. Emceeing is the master of the ceremony. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the swag, it's the energy, it's the cadence, it's the, it's the influence on the culture, on the party and how it works. Um, I think Nas is definitely... In, in my top five easily. But Jay is just what he did for the culture. It's just different, it's just different. They had a greater impact. And I think if Nas was as obsessed with, with uh, being in the forefront as Jay-Z was, then I think he would have had the same impact as well, but he wasn't. Mm-hmm. What would you but say is Jay-Z's greatest album? Cause you said you could stop at black album. What would you say is his greatest album? Blueprint for me. Blueprint. Blueprint. I know most people would say a uh, reasonable doubt, but I think Blueprint was my favorite Jay-Z album, easily. And then I think uh, I would go Blueprint, Reasonable Doubt, and then American Gangster. Oh, oh, from 2008. Yeah, yeah. No one ever brings that album up. That was insane. <laughs> insane. Not, now, most people would run for Nas with Illmatic, but to me, I feel as though It Was Written was Nas's best album. I agree. I agree. It Was Written was incredible. I also think um, uh, the double CD was that Blueprint Two. Mm-hmm. I think if he would have made cut that in half and made one CD and took the best songs from both those CDs, that would have been another classic. I agree with you on that. Nas made a, a double album once that I feel like if he'd have took the best four from each of those um, each of those double albums, it would have been a classic as well. Mm-hmm. I think that what was that Streets Disciple. I think Street Disciple. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but in my opinion, it was written as his, as his number one album. People don't give that enough credit. I gave you power, take it in blood. Power of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. They don't know. We got to get into this record. This record was always in rotation when I was younger on the radio. I remember hearing it to this day. And mm-hmm. Did you ever think that this was going to be the one that put you on the map as an R&B artist? Yeah, I, mean, I know it was going to be a hit. Yeah. yeah, I was very confident in that record. I was more shocked when um, other records behind it didn't work. That's the thing that bugged me. I thought I thought that uh, somebody else was going to be my biggest record. But sometimes that happens. You believe the songs you did is your favorite, not the ones that work for the public. And just thinking about what you've done just for R&B and songwriting, and we think about writers all the time. I feel as though that you are, as you brought up before, you are one of the top writers that people look to in the industry, though. When we think of writers and that's in the fact that we can say, oh, he's an important writer. I think that means a lot. To, and it paves the way for people not to be afraid to take a step back at times and say, I wanted to just be in the writing side of music. Yeah, I think that um, you know, I would I would never place myself as, as the greatest or one of the greatest because there's so many like, you know, baby face, <laughs> baby face, James Taylor, to R. Kelly to, to you know, so many, bro. It's like, is there yeah. possible? Diane Warren, David Foster. It's like, it's so difficult. I wouldn't place myself in. If I had to choose, I'm not even in the top 25 best writers of all time. But, but I do know that um, uh, I did I definitely had an impact on this in this, you know, generation, and I, and I accept that. But um, it's so many, man. It's so many talented people in this world who do do incredible who've done incredible work classic timeless you know evergreens so um for me i just want to do my part and 
and create at the level I created, but also take this next step. I, I want to be the biggest executive in the world. I can't say that I'm the biggest. Um, I was the biggest songwriter. And think about it, I'm only 38 years old. Mm-hmm. I think um, I'm around the age Barry Gordy was when he was starting Motown. You know what I mean? So I have an op- a unique opportunity to do something extremely timeless and to surpass Barry, L.A., Clive. I think I have an opportunity to do so, and I'm, I'm going to do that. Division One, how did it feel to create this independent record label? Well, it was with Interscope Records, and then you were actually able to sign artists to it, Trina, yeah. Young Chris. Yeah, I got um, I got a, a new deal at Epic. I have also deal at Hitco with L.A. Reid, and I have a deal at Sony with um, J. Urban Human Resources. So it's really just about developing new artists, working hard to get the music out there, seen and heard, and um, pushing the boundaries and just really getting our put, foot in the door. The key is to just keep working and working until we break something. And I think we're very close with Mia Ariana, Grandbaby, Rubina, Feli, Fast Cash Boys, Ayanna Lee. Um, it's just an exciting time for me to really do some cool, innovative stuff creatively as an executive. Have you ever thought of writing a book? Because I think you're someone that's heavily influential in this game and could teach a lot of people about the aspects and insides and outs of the game and music. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm definitely going to start working on the book probably um, next year. Oh, okay, so you've been planning this. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, man. Just got to figure out how to approach it. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should let it, let out the truth 100% to hold back. <laughs> Estimate that a lot of people are held back on this, or even, and aside from writing a book, how about classes for songwriters? Have you ever thought of? I do the We Love Music Conference and I do the Art of Song, and we've done things via Zoom, and it's amazing. You know, we have an opportunity to teach and extend information that we have to other people, and I think that that's an incredible opportunity that I love to use on that platform. Even even with the pandemic, we did it via Zoom. I taught like four classes via Zoom and it was amazing. From your eyes and people that you work with close that of the younger generation, who's someone that people should really turn their attention to and who's going to be the next up and coming hottest songwriter? Mm. Let me think. I think Tierra Thomas, mm-hmm. be, um, somebody is super special. I think she's going to change the game. And you work with her for a while. Actually, I signed her. Um, that's right to division one and um, we haven't spoken in years but I still uh, root for I think she's an incredible artist incredible writer Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you're also working on an upcoming album of your own a solo album yeah I'm thinking about doing another one been been throwing around some ideas on even King's Die too yeah that's that was the one with Shine on it that I brought up before See, that one did, now when you wrote Shine, did you think that one was going to be a hit? Um, I don't know. I don't think I made the album for any radio, but I didn't put any records on the radio. I just made the album because I just, I was, I was dealing with a lot in life and I need to release it. I think it was an important time for me. So I did the album and it was kind of like, it was very telling of what I was dealing with at the time. Do you think it was- I think when I make music for myself, it's always when I'm experiencing some level of difficulty. It's things that are going on around you more so. Mm-hmm. That's the authentic feel of R and B, absolutely, or any or any sort of music. I think 
that's the one thing about artists nowadays is with the trending sound, everyone just hops on the one sound and then the one message where so people forget. And I think that's why there isn't individualities because people don't look at to what they're actually experiencing in their lives. They're more as though chasing one message. Absolutely. You hit it right in the head. For real. It's unbelievable. Mm. But man, it's, it's crazy. It really is. And what you've done throughout your career. I think people would love to hear the first time that you met Usher. The first time. Yeah, yeah. I went to Usher's office. I just saw a picture from that day. I had on a Kobe Bryant jersey with the Kobe wristband and the Kobe. Oak. Kobe was a good friend of yours, I heard. Not necessarily. He wasn't a good friend of mine, but he was somebody I was just idolized intensely, immensely. And um, I met him once. And we had an incredible, we talked for like an hour and a half. Wow. I was just praising him. But um, broke my heart when he died. I cried like a baby. I think I was at the Grammys and I was just couldn't even contain myself. Um, but uh, I had on an Usher jersey. I mean, I had a Kobe Bryant jersey. Mm-hmm. Usher walks in. He had on a, a, a V-neck sweater, you know, back when everybody's wearing those with a T-shirt under it. Like, I remember the whole setup. He was driving a Porsche Boxster. And um, it was an amazing experience. All I could think about was like, man, you know, pause. He, he smells so good. I was like, I want, I want whatever he's wearing. I want to wear that. You know what I mean? I just remember, like, uh, he smelled rich. And I just felt like his presence was just epic. And he's one of my closest friends still to this day. And I still feel his presence to be epic. And, and no matter how many times I'm around him and how many times we speak, he's still usher to me. Mm-hmm. I don't look at him as an average person. He's one of my close friends. He's still like, oh, that's usher. Mm-hmm. I still have that feeling. And think about the impact that Usher had early on in his career, because people forget about it. They think Confessions was, oh, whoa, but you got to look at the other albums he had. His self-titled, Usher was good, yeah. My Way. My Way was a classic. Eight yeah. Seven, classic. Hands down. Oh, yeah. I think Raymond versus Raymond was a classic album. Yeah. I do, too. And, and don't forget about he had his time in acting. He, he acted in The Faculty. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And um, Light It Up. Mm-hmm. And also... Uh, uh, Texas Ranger, I think he did a few episodes of that. Did you ever think about doing any films? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited about writing some films, um, writing, you know, doing some screenwriting, um, writing some television series, you know, definitely. Okay. What, what, what kind of th- themes would this surround about? I have a few ideas that I'm rolling around, but nothing is set in stone, but I have a few concepts that I really want to build on. Did you take screenwriting in college? No, I didn't, but I, I read a book called Save the Cat by Blake Snyder to help understand screenwriting and how to put put together, um, you know, screen screenplay. I think the most important software, because I took screenwriting in college in my classes here, Celtex is the most important one when you're actually typing up the script. That one, it formats it for you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Celtex? Celtex. It's C-E-L-T-X. Okay, I'm definitely going to get to that. Yeah, that's the one to use, but you're going to get into that lane, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to have success in that as everything that you've touched has. But tell me on your way to the path of getting this VP position to the Grammys, could you ever believe that you would ever have this much power and ranking in the Grammys? <laughs> that's yeah, huge. I did. I did, but I just didn't know it would come, happen so fast. It was a situation. I served one term as governor, one wow. term as trustee, and now I'm the vice chair. So it's just, you know, but it just goes to show that when you have an impact and when you say things and um, people respect it and you have an opinion and 
and you have a passion for something that people recognize it quickly. I think you're going to have that impact. I really do. Rico Love, is there anything else you would love to tell the audience here? Anything else you have up coming as far as classes, conferences, anything? Um, Mia Ariana EP is out right now. It's called The Birthday Sex Tape. She also has I'm a Good Girl, Do You Believe Me, the EP out right now. I'm getting ready to drop music on my artist wifey, baby. Artist brand, baby. Fast Cash Boys, we're getting ready to release some music. Um, Rubina, Feli, uh, Ayanna Lee. I'm just excited about developing these new acts. It's just, it's just an incredible time right now for me musically. And it, I'm sure you're back in the groove here, 2021. I mean, COVID's still out here, but just got to mask up. <laughs> mask up and make it work for me. Yeah, that's all you can do, man. Rico Love, I want to thank you for coming on the show here tonight. It was an honor. I'm looking forward to everything you have coming forward. And we'd love to have you on the show again once you're ready to have anything to promote, as well as the book. I'm really interested in reading the book that you release in the future. Absolutely. Thank you, brother. Of course, and let them know where they can follow you on Instagram and Twitter, most importantly, too. Yeah, follow me on Instagram at I am Rico Love, and on Twitter at I am Rico Love, Snapchat I am Rico Love Five. That's right. All right, Rico Love, I want you to take care, enjoy the rest of your night, and and we look forward to every all your rest of your contributions to music, man. Thanks. By the way, this is an amazing interview. You're very much on point. You do your, your research, and that's that that means so much to people like me because we work so hard. And sometimes you have an interview and somebody is, hasn't even done their research, but you've definitely done your work and you're very good at this and you're going to be, you're going to do very well in this, in this world, in this, this uh, platform. Thank you, man. I, that means a lot to me. That really, that, that's, that gives me a boost of confidence, man. I, I especially coming from you, that gives me a, a huge boost of confidence. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. No doubt, man. Anytime. I want you to enjoy the rest of your night and stay safe, man. You too, bro. Yeah. Peace.